And so, Lord, we come into your presence. Uh, what you see is what you get, God. Inspire us to become like your son, Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, you will be present with us. And that's how we operate. In the name of Jesus, and we all said, amen. Have a seat, everyone. We move into our teaching time, and then we'll go into uh, the Lord's table here in just a bit. As we establish again at the Lord's table who we are and who we belong to and the very food and drink of our life. But first, we dive into uh, a teaching on a heresy. And I've kind of been trying to cover a few heresies here in the deep, dark days of winter. Because what's more fun during the deep darkness of winter than heresies? Yay! And so I thought this we'd go after the most famous, not the most popular in our time, although it's really intriguing what's going on here, but it's the most famous heresy of all, and it's called Arianism. This Arianism deals with this one simple question. Is Jesus God? Is Jesus God? It is the most tormented question of the church, and it's been around since the beginning, and it's still around. It's around because uh, I gave you a piece of paper, by the way, a handout, and if you've got your little golf pencil, then you can fill things in. If not, amuse yourself otherwise. Uh, but on here, right here in the yellow and the green. Did you guys get this? Nobody's like holding this thing. Okay, thank you. Boy, maybe feels much better about myself. So um, right there, latest survey says this, that um, only 73% of evangelical Christians, and like it or not, Lakeland tends to kind of fall into that group, uh, although we try to renounce it all the time these days. Um, 73% of evangelical Christians strongly agree, not disagree, strongly agree that Jesus is only the first created being under God, not equal to, not as God, not one, but that there's a hierarchy, okay, God. Jesus, and then Jesus created everything, so to speak, or God created through Jesus. 73%, folk. Those who do not believe Jesus is of the same substance as God the Father are considered heretics by the church for 1,700 years. I'm not making this up. 73%? Like, so that's why I'm preaching about it today. All right? Because we got a problem in the house, if you know what I'm saying. So let's tighten up Lakeland, uh, and I think it's critical that we tighten up our beliefs and understand what you and I mean when we say we are Christians, so let's get this stuff straight. And of course, you can challenge and have all sorts of discussions about it, and you'll kind of walk out of here saying, like, I need, I need more clarity. Like, that's okay, because this is, a, this is a, one of these sort of things that's hard to get our head around. It is for me, too. So this question, Jesus being equal to God, it's been around since about 100 years after Jesus' ministry. So get your little timeline down, right? The timeline is Jesus' ministry is probably happening around 30 AD. The New Testament and the Gospels, those letters by Paul, all be written, all being written around probably somewhere between 44 AD up to maybe 90 AD. The last witnesses of Jesus walking on the earth maybe living until after, maybe after 100 AD. Boom! Immediately, this heresy comes into play. As soon as the, the eyewitnesses of Jesus have all passed, right? And that's where this thing's coming from. It's because, you know, the great question that everybody was asking is, is, is God 
Is God just a slob like one of us? You know, right? Alanis Moore said, I mean, that question, that's the deal. That's been around. So let me introduce you to a man named Arius. Arius was a Christian presbyter in North Africa in what was Alexandria then, Alexandria today, in what uh, became Egypt. This is around 250 A.D., so the last witnesses of Jesus around 100, and then 250 A.D., so within just a couple of generations, you're moving into uh, Arius here. Arius dies around 336 A.D. Arius believed that God the Father's divinity was over the Son, Jesus. Arius believed Jesus had a beginning. And you're like, well, duh, if he was a man, he was born. That's a beginning. Like, no, 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 that he was not God when he had his beginning. Like, the beginning was him actually being divine. You're like, okay. And Arius is quoting that most famous verse of all, John 3, 16. Mm -hmm. And he's quoting that, and he's using that as his support. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, right, Begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was the word begotten that Arius latched hold of because begotten kind of sounds like begin, all right? And he's like, hmm, so God begot him. What Arius forgot to do was read the entire gospel of John all the way back to the very first beginning of the gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 1, at the very beginning. And it sounds, well, listen to it. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. Does this sound like something familiar in the Bible? Maybe Genesis 1? Why, yes. In the beginning, God. And what John's establishing is is that the word, the very thought, the very presence, that thing called God was Jesus, is what John's establishing at the very beginning of his gospel, right? If you hear that echo of in the beginning God, then you're understanding the gospel of John is saying like John's trying to establish that Jesus is God, right? So now Arius was interesting because he was, everyone liked Arius. He was a good guy. He wasn't weird or mean or anything like that. He thought he was doing the right thing. He was smart, um, and, but mostly Arius was a really good songwriter, and he could come up with little ditties that were real sing-songy, childlike stuff, and he got all of his thinking about this sort of hierarchy thing into song, and it spread like wildfire all over uh, northern Africa, all around the Mediterranean, all the way to Greece, all over the whole church, the Arian heresy was being infiltrated through songs by common people who most of them couldn't even read, but they could sing it. And it just took off. All of a sudden, like, oh man, we got a problem. Big controversy in the church, right? So uh, the Roman emperor, Constantine, called the very, very first council of the church. He called in all the leaders, all the bishops and everybody and all the presbyters in 325 AD. By the way, that's on the... Um, that's a fill-in-the-blank moment, 325 A.D., I believe it is. Yeah, the other stuff was substance, begotten, God. Mm-hmm. 325 A.D., we have the Council of Nicaea. And after all the bishops heard Arius, because Arius was there too, and they were going to debate the whole thing, they read it all, they heard Arius, they got the whole thing going on, and then 
they decided right then and there, said, like, you know what, Arius? That's not Christianity. That's not it. That's not what we read in the Gospels. That's not what we heard from the eyewitnesses. That's not what it says in all the letters. That's not, what, that's not it, Arius. You're wrong. And so they deemed it a, a heresy, not as Orthodox Christianity. Okay? The Apostles' Creed then came out of that. The Nicene Creed came out of that. It got kind of shrunk down to the Apostles' Creed, which is what we use around here. And that's what you guys quoted earlier. And it, that, that creed, notice it doesn't talk about discipleship. It doesn't talk about prayer. It doesn't talk about anything. All it's talking about is who is God, who is the Son, and who is the Holy Spirit. And by the way, they're all one. Just let's get that clear is what the Apostles' Creed is trying to get done. That's what it's all about. First big creed of the church. And by the way, I think I said at the top of the sheet, don't confuse the word Aryan with Aryan with a Y, the white supremacist stuff, and, you know, the Third Reich and the Nazis and all those sorts. Same kind of word, sounds the same, and you're thinking like, hey, man, like, is this Aryan heresy, like, white supremacy? Like, no. Accident of language. Forget it. Disconnect. Not happening. All right, so skip that stuff right there. All right. So, um, so Constantine gets this thing together. And, it, and they condemn Arius and his heresy and establishes things going on. So that's what's been going on for 17 years. So today, Arianism is still around. Not only is it around in apparently 73% of Christians that a lot of us might identify with, but it's also around in uh, what I would consider a cult, which would be the Jehovah Witnesses, because they have a big toxic culture wrapped around in it, you know, a lot of secrecy and a lot of like, you know, control and that sort of thing. That's what makes it a, a cult thing. But the heresy of Jehovah's Witnesses is that they really the most closely resemble Arianism because Jehovah Witnesses, um, so let's just go here. I always kind of hesitate to do this sort of thing. So here's the deal. When a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, which is kind of amazing that anybody actually kill, still come and knock on your door except during election time or if it's Amazon. But nonetheless, these people will still come knock on your door. Nice, well-meaning people, I'm sure. And... Um, you're immediately going to get into a Bible fight, all out, like tooth and nail fight on the Bible. And they're going to quote to you John 3, 16, right? And you're going to quote back John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 and 14. So you're going to have to have this stuff down. All right. So here's what the debate's going to argue on. The debate's going to argue on Greek. I'm like, okay, great. Because Jehovah's Witnesses have bad Greek. They don't know their Greek grammar. So here's what happens in Greek, okay? In Greek, um, in English, <laughs> if you have, it's the word or a word. So definite or indefinite article, right? The is the definite article. A is the indefinite article. You guys remember this from high school? So, um, and in Greek, if there is no article in front of it, it is always the definite article, the word. Okay? They put in a word if it is that. It's implied. So when you read the Greek, the is not there. So the Jehovah's Witnesses read it as a word, like one of many, and got it wrong. Jehovah's Witnesses should have gone to school and learned their Greek grammar better. Okay, so there, there's sort of a deep dive for you, way into the heart of the matter of at least how the Jehovah's Witnesses end up committing the Arian heresy. Okay, so that's just one. A little simpler thing, Unitarians claim that Jesus is not God. 
So, by the way, when we started, the very first week of Lakeland, we had a ton. I mean, we sent out all these invitations, like 17,000 of them all around the city. And uh, we had all these people come. And, you know, what was a Lakeland? We didn't know. You know, it was our very first service. So we had a ton of people come from Unity Village. Nice people. Kind of marginal golf course, but it's a nice, nice people. So, um, and um, they come. And I say... During the very first sermon of Lakeland, I say, Jesus is Lord. That's just kind of part of the context of what I was going along with. <gasps> Huge inhale in the audience. I'm like, what? You know, like, well, we had a ton of Unity Village people coming, Unitarians. And they're like, they did not like that. And I heard about that all week long on the phone. Like, well, I guess they're not coming back next week. Okay, so, um, because we declared Jesus is Lord. And the Unitarians didn't believe that. Latter-day Saints, let's get a little closer to home, like about 10 minutes up the road. Latter-day Saints, Mormon, RLDS, and the rest of it, they're not exactly Aryan, but they're not Trinitarian. Trinitarian, you know, like the creed you guys all just said, they don't do that, right? They're not going to be able to say that creed like you, and so therefore they're not a part of Christianity. Because they believe that God the Father uh, and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three separate entities, three gods, and that God and Jesus are both flesh and bone, okay? So, um, as opposed to God not being of a, having a body. So, Mormonism may not be Aryan exactly, but it's clearly not Trinitarian, and that is to say they don't believe in the Trinity the way Christianity believes in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the way all of you confessed it if you did the Apostles' Creed, okay? So, what about the Trinity? Because that's what this thing's all about, you know? Is it three is it one? If you're ever going to make a mistake on this thing, just say God is one. Always begin there. God is one. If you begin with God is three, you're going to get in trouble, you know, because Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall and Humpty Dumpty, Humpty Dumpty wanted to get put back together again. It's not going to happen, folks. You know? So you can't do that. It's all going to fall apart very, very fast at that point. So here's the problem. The problem is, is that when we begin to think of, um, of this sort of thing, if we start thinking numerically, or mathematically, it's one of the fill-in-the-blanks there. If you start thinking numerically, you're going to get in trouble. If you start trying to put three back into one, or if you start trying to do any math on Trinity stuff, you, you, you can't do it. It'll go really bad really, really quick. So don't think numerically about it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not three separate that you're trying to put back into one. Think in terms like this. And this has its problem too. Think in terms of relationship. God is three relationships, okay? So there is God, such as Jesus said, the Father, my Father. Think of the Son. Now, the problem is, is we think hierarchically about father and son because the son's begotten, right? Like John three sixteen. But in terms, just think of it like this. I am Dan. Hi, nice to meet you. I am son, I am husband, and I am father. Ignore the hierarchy stuff going on in there. But I have three different relationships. Okay, don't like that one? Well, here's one, and it's even worse, but it's about all we got. Think of the son, S-U-N, not S-O-N, S-U-N, Right? And so the sun has what? It has light wave. It has, you know, the sun beams, if you want to call it that, and all the scientists in the room say it also has particle, you know. And um, so it has light beams, it has heat, and it has the light itself. Yeah? When it, so, well, that's going to be three different modes. But it is just one sun. 
Oh, it's so hard to come up with an analogy that fits. But please don't go around telling your kid that God is an egg and then he fell off the wall and it broke and you're trying to put him back together. He is because there's the white part and the yolk part and then the shell part. And it's like, don't do that. Like, that's not going to be, your kid's going to be sitting around saying, can I have an egg sandwich for lunch? I mean, it's just not going to go well. All right? Better to stick with relationship. Relationship is really your home base in this whole thing because that's really what the Bible talks about. The God of the Hebrews, the God of the Old Testament, it's all about relationship. That's how they thought about God. They didn't drag this into some philosophical argument like Arius and the early church. They didn't try and drag God into a science lab and figure out, you know, like what's the substance and the essence and is it on the periodic, you know, table or something like that. It was always about a relationship. It was always that. Consider this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the first few verses there. This This one thing, if we have the Apostles' Creed, the Hebrews, the Jews have the Shema. Hear, O Israel, which is what Shema says. Hear, O Israel, and here's what it says. You've heard it before probably if you've been around the church for any time. Hear, O Israel, Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is what? Our God. You hear the relationship in there? Keep looking for the relationship word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you, this is Moses, you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and daughters. And you shall take them with you when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign to your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. You guys get in the picture? Eat, sleep, breathe this one thing. The Lord, our God, is one. When you pick up your fork, when you walk in and out of the house, when you lie down, when you rise up, wash your entire household of this idea. There is one God. Ah, but that one God is our God. Relationship. All the Psalms, the Psalms, right, in the Bible, All the psalms, those prayers, even the ones that sound really violent and weird and stuff, you know, all of them are clinging to God. You don't find atheism in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, by the way, atheism is a recent invention. You know that? It's very Western and very modern. You know, most other cultures don't have atheism. We think we can somehow not believe in God and that God somehow, poof, just disappears because I said so. I'm an atheist. You know, like, Okay, you know, I mean, it takes faith to be an atheist, and it takes faith actually to be a theist, actually to believe in God. You know that? It's always faith. You know, nobody can say, I don't believe in God. Like, oh, well, there went God. So it's like, what's that got to do with it? Right? So anyway, when you read the Psalms, you'll run into this stuff over and over and over. You'll hear this voice that says, I cling to you. You'll find this over and over in there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Over and over in the Old Testament, relationship, 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 relationship. You can't drag God into a lab and dissect it. You can't break it down into its elements. Our language is not equipped to do this sort of thing. And that's why the church has had to call councils. No other religion in the world has a relational God. Not Hinduism. 
Hinduism doesn't have a personal God, not a relational God. Buddhism actually isn't even really, doesn't even have a God, right? It's actually, uh, yeah, it's more of a thought thing. Um, it's really more bent. Buddhism's more interested in freeing itself from material desire. But that's for another day. Islam, despite having one God, is not a relational God. It is about obedience and submission to Allah. Only the Jews had the relational God, and Christianity is the child of Judaism. Okay? The survey results I quoted at the top of the teaching reveal that Jesus is either one of two heresies. First, Jesus is either my buddy and sort of an aw shucks, Jesus is my buddy, you know, he's my partner, you know, and we just kind of like, you know, we just kind of slept along together, you know, and you get Jesus being totally man, totally human, and he's just like me, he's just a slob like one of us, and you know, he's my buddy Jesus, it's all kind of good, and you can lose the deity of Jesus in that sort of like hyper-relational sort of, um, oh, I don't know what you'd call it, kind of a grubby sort of a relationship, very, very human. And then you can get all lofty and make the other mistake of saying like, well, Jesus, he just like floated, you know, three inches across the ground wherever he went. He never really, he didn't go to the bathroom. You know, he's like some 1940s cowboy movie, like they never went to the bathroom. Jesus probably never, you know, that's, you you don't want to make that mistake either. So it's curious just how much we cannot grasp a God who is both unapproachable creator and a man hanging in excruciating pain on the cross. Don't ever make this mistake of getting Jesus so deified that you think like he's hanging on the cross. He's saying like, oh, this is really painful. Wink, wink. Like that's not happening. That man hanging there cries out saying, barely getting the words out, I am thirsty. Because we constantly want to make God according to our own image and according to our own ideas. And I can tell you from all these decades of doing ministry that every time somebody puts God into a box, every time someone thinks of God as the God that they can imagine with their mind, that God will never change them. It is only a God that is beyond our imagination will ever change us. God is always beyond. And Jesus came to show us that that's the way it is. Ask God. No other faith in the world has that going. See, what most people, Christian and especially atheists, mean by God. These days, we've fallen into something that's really only a couple, 250 years old, and it's deism. Like D-A, like D-E-I. Deism. Deism is really a lot of what our founding uh, forefounders of this country had going. Deism um, was close to what Thomas Jefferson was. He was a Unitarian. He took, by the way, uh, Thomas Jefferson took his New Testament and he literally took a um, scissors and cut out every miracle in the whole thing and just left it down to this moral book. It was like, what a weird New Testament. Like, there's nothing to it. Didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead or anything like that. Just cut it all out. Very intriguing. Um, 
Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, um, didn't believe in God at all. Loved the whole thing. He wanted everybody else to be a Christian because they wouldn't cheat him. But, um, you know, but he couldn't believe in it. Right now, John Adams and those guys, devout people of uh, George Washington, very, very devout Christian. Deism is what was present at the day. And deism is like, maybe you've heard this, it says like, deism believes that God was the great clockmaker and that he wound up the clock and walked away. And now it's all up to us. So that's why there's gravity and that's why there's bosons and black holes and galaxies. God doesn't have anything to do with it. He's not in touch with any of them. He said like, I just started the whole thing. I'm out of here. That's deism. So you don't want to fall into that. So I'm bringing out deism and talking about it. Because it's not relational. It's kind of scientific almost or logical. It's all in the head. Oh, on the other hand then, so if you want to do the feely approach, so if you've got deism is all in the head and cognition, you know, and you want to do the feely one, then you go to pantheism. Pan, that Greek word, pan means universal or all-encompassing, like, you know, panorama. You see the whole thing, it all is included. So pan, pantheism, is, means God's in everything. So God's in the rocks, and God's in the trees, and God's in the stars, and God's in the atmosphere, you know, and all the Lord of the Rings nerds in the house all start saying, like, oh, I hear Galadriel. It's in the water, and it's in the earth, and it's all speaking to me, you know? Like, okay. You know, like, God's in the chipmunks. Like, Christianity does not confuse the chipmunk with God. They're cute, but it's not God. God might have started the chipmunks as well as with some help from some other chipmunks. But I'm just saying, that's not God. That's not Christianity. That's not the God of the Bible. They're distinct, creator and creation. So it doesn't believe in pantheism. Oh, yeah, and just to go to this spot, there is something else called panentheism, pantheism, and then panentheism. You add a little E-N in there, panentheism. And panentheism says there is a God but his spirit, that God's spirit, is like pervasive through everything. Does that sound familiar? Because a lot of people like that one. That's really uh, from 1835. Hegel, the philosopher, kind of started that sort of thing. The Geist, if you've ever heard of Geist, you know. Hegel's Geist. The spirit of God is in everything. We love this kind of stuff, you know, because of Obi-Wan Kenobi and all that sort of thing, you know, in the force. Very popular. Not Christianity. And it's not, proper, it's not a proper view of God. It really is popular stuff, though. It's all out there, all over the place. Say, so the God of the Bible is this relational God. This relational God, just like Psalm 42 says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning, oppressed by the foe? Do you see the relationship there? Notice there's no... Because if, if we would have created it in the, in the last 200 years, we would have said, like, God, it's not working out. I don't believe in you anymore. And we'd say, I'm now an atheist. Not for the Jews. Not all through the Bible. It says, says this. You want to memorize a verse? This is good. It's short. Job 13.15. And Job 13.15 says this. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. And you're like, whoa, the Jews cling to God. Though he slay me, I will cling to him, is what Job says, the man of sorrows. Though he slay me, I do nothing but cling to God. 
Though everything's going wrong in your life, with a relational God, you cling to God. Not out of some sort of stupid, silly blindness, but because you have nowhere else to belong to. No one else to belong to. You walk the journey of prayer and of living with God, even though it's all going bad. That's the God of the Bible. You hang in there when it's not going right. You hang in there through cancer. You hang in there through all sorts of joblessness. You hang in there through money problems. That's the God we cling to. Though he slay me, yet I will cling to him. Job 13, 15. And that's why there's 150 psalms in the Bible. All prayers about like sometimes it's good, sometimes it's mm, and sometimes it's bad. But it all belongs. That's what we believe as Christians. Otherwise, otherwise, we don't have a God hanging on a cross who can identify with all of our stuff. Although he's in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the role of a servant. And then God raised him up. That's who we follow. Otherwise, parents, you're going to be tucking your kids in at night and say, and your little kid's going to say, you know, your four-year-old's going to say like, so mommy, daddy, is there a God? And you're going to say, well, I don't know, son, daughter, but I do know Bertrand Russell, the existentialist from about 100 years ago, and he said, when you die, you rot. So, son, have a nice trip on the fertilizer cycle, you know, so you're just walking around in dinosaur, you know, used suits. So, uh, like, your kids can say, thanks, Mom. <laughs> Only one God, and the God of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.